BC's flood disaster. I've never seen anything like it. It's pretty extreme. Most of Merritt underwater with thousands forced to evacuate and many other communities inundated too. Rescuing hundreds trapped between mudslides. The airlift to get everyone out and the massive challenge to rebuild broken highways. And a runaway barge in English Bay. How it was a close call along the seawall. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us on what has been an historic day for weather. 48 hours of pounding rain set in motion one disaster after another. We have extensive coverage from the hardest hit areas tonight, including drivers still trapped by mudslides. But we'll start things off in Merritt, where the entire city of 7,000 has been evacuated. The hospital and long-term care homes emptied out. And no word on when anyone will be allowed back. Rumina Dea reports. Helpless residents, powerless to save their homes and their community from raging water. I've never seen anything like it. It's pretty extreme, yeah. The entire city of Merritt, 7,000 residents told to evacuate immediately. It's some scary looking scenes, um, you know, complete roads washed out and uh, the current is strong. Like it's, it's, it's fierce. The city deemed unsafe after flooding shut down the wastewater treatment plant, contamination, a serious concern. Faucets, showers, toilets, unusable. Pretty crazy. Uh, we used to get flooding in, uh, in spring from, uh, from flooding from snow mill. Uh, so this is totally unusual. Residents still exhausted from fighting fires this summer on the front lines again. I just moved here two years ago and I've been evacuated already once from the fires and to be in merit like it's and to like have the possibility of it happening again is kind of kind of crazy we have friends their basements are completely flooded they don't have any flood insurance so it's going to be pretty devastating heavy flooding common in the spring but never now i've lived in this country eight years and i've seen it change dramatically so it's um i hate to say it but it's global warming and um it's not looking good Questions being raised about whether the government should have been better prepared given the severe rain was forecasted. Uh, the unfortunate reality is this is a level, uh, this is an amount of water that Merritt has never encountered before. Uh, as I say, it completely blew past our 200 year floodplain uh, projections in a matter of hours. Princeton also ravaged by flooding. The river burst through the basement doors, knocked it right off the hinges, and uh, yeah, she came in really quick. So we got one survivor here. That's, that's all we got. 290 homes on evacuation order, 100 on alert after a dike burst. It came on faster than anybody could anticipate. Uh, we were trying to get sandbags out and everything. The amount of time it took for it to get from Tulamine to Princeton was un unheard of. Back in Merritt, the future unknown for residents desperate to return home. The city now barricaded. Romina Dea, Global News. Now, dozens of people who spent last night stuck in their vehicles near Agassiz after two mudslides blocked Highway 7 were rescued during a break in the weather today, but 
Many more remain trapped on that highway tonight. Kamal Karamali is live with more on the rescues. And Kamal, what do we know about what's happening for the people who are still stranded on that roadway? Well, Chris, there are actually two rescue operations that happened today. One closer to Agassiz, run by the military. That one is complete, but there's a second rescue operation taking place. That is closer to Hope, and those people there on that eastern portion of Highway 7 where they're still stranded. We're hearing dozens are stranded there. So why the difference? Why is one rescued and one isn't? Well, uh, the one closer to Agassiz, they actually called the military while officials closer to hope they called the province and that has left many people in that section of the highway closer to hope cold and stranded tonight problem is there's still a lot of live wires in that area BC Hydro has come in and uh, to kill that power and then move wires out of the way. And once that happens, RCMP will be able to come in and move those people out of the highway. They're hoping that happens tonight. And as for those people who were rescued earlier today on that uh, portion of the highway closer to Agassiz, well, they were just really happy to be back home. One flight after another, touching down, unloading several people at a time. Many of them wet, cold, sleep deprived, but happy to be safe. After two mudslides had left 275 people, including 50 children, trapped on Highway 7 between Agassiz and Hope Sunday night. There was another slide behind us, so we got trapped right in between the two slides within a minute of each other. Agassiz's fire department was able to rescue 12 people whose vehicles were trapped by debris but were unable to access the rest. Heather Roseboom spent the night in fear but says everyone came together to comfort one another through the night. When you see vehicle lights off in a distance where they're not supposed to be and you know there's water, then that's a pretty scary feeling. And then the, dip, you know, the lights in the ditch. So we just, you know what? It's just an amazing experience to be, to see humanity at work and you all work together and you help each other out. Many shared resources and made sure everyone was warm, but for a while they had lost hope. I figured we were going to be there all day today and probably into tonight because no machinery had showed up to clear either of those mudslides. Um, I looked at that highway and I couldn't imagine they could land a helicopter anywhere on it. In the end, though, when Canada Task Force 1 arrived in rescue choppers, many were blown away. I couldn't believe they landed there. He landed literally on top of a pile of mud and broken trees, and we jumped in and got out. Canada Task Force 1, the heavy urban search and rescue task force, said they used three rescue choppers, each one taking a couple of minutes to fly to the site and then back, having to make a couple dozen trips to get everyone out by just before 5 p.m. Unfortunately, the next phase is going to be for us to do a reconnaissance and um, assessment of the actual debris flows to determine if there's vehicles trapped in there. Um, you know, there might be a small possibility that it's a rescue, but more than likely a recovery operation if we do find any. As for those still stranded on Highway 7, closer to hope, there's no clear timeline given as of yet by the Ministry of Transportation on when they'll be rescued. Although, as you can imagine, resources and patience, Chris, is growing incredibly thin. Back over to you. Yeah, a sense of urgency there to get those people out as quickly as possible. Kamal Karamali reporting live for us tonight. Thanks, Kamal.
Southwestern B.C. is basically cut off from the rest of the province tonight as slides have come down onto every major route in multiple locations in some cases. And as Ted Chernecki reports, there's growing concern about those who may have been swept away. The latest developments raising concerns about the safety of several people. According to witnesses, there was a lineup of vehicles stopped along the Duffy Lake Road section of Highway 99, trying to head west towards Pemberton. A landslide hit several of the stopped vehicles, sweeping them over the edge of the bank. Witnesses say there were people standing outside of their vehicles at the time. We have not had confirmation uh, of any uh, fatalities uh, uh, at this point. Elsewhere, a rescue helicopter arrives this afternoon between two mudslides on the Trans-Canada between Bridal Falls and Hope, and after 20 hours, stuck in traffic with the kids. But even if one was successful in getting to Hope, the Coquihalla had to be closed in both directions as geotechnical engineers assess slope stability after a mudslide 11 kilometers south of the Great Bear Snowshed. We just got everybody out of here below. There is a few tractor-trailer units that are down here. Uh, We've made them unload their trailer, and we're turning them around, keeping their trailers down here, getting them out of the danger zone. Between Box Canyon and Porsche is uh, a disaster waiting to happen. Up or down the Fraser Canyon on Highway 1 has been a no-go zone after a rock slide shut it down from Yale to Lytton. Then there's the Hope Princeton closed after a mudslide at Sunshine Valley Road. And further east, more flooding has closed Highway 3 in both directions from Princeton to Headley. When everybody's stacked up five miles or more, you know, up the highway, people start losing their, their cool and they start doing things that are that are dangerous. And as we said, looking north, that mudslide between Little Watt Place and Texas Creek has shut down traffic from roughly Duffy Lake Provincial Park to Lillooet. There are, in fact, too many road closures to note, four on southern Vancouver Island alone. Best to check the Drive BC website and better stay off the road unless necessary. Meanwhile, questions to the Minister of Public Safety. Why were Washington state homeowners given ample warning to sandbag as early as Saturday? And BC somehow allowed 80 to 100 people to get stuck in their vehicles for more than 20 hours. Landslides, uh, as you know, um, are unpredictable and uh, they, they happen. Clearly, some of the repair work now required is going to take far longer than that. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Record-breaking rainfall in Abbotsford has prompted a local state of emergency to be declared. Grace Key joins us live with the latest there. Grace, the number of people being evacuated has jumped quite substantially. Yeah, earlier this morning it was just a handful, and then now it has jumped to 629 residences. That's in the Sumas Prairie area, and then another seven also under evacuation order, and that's in the straight, uh, just off a of straightened road. Also, uh, parts of Highway 1, that's going to be between Watkin Road and a Sumas Way, that is flooded, and the public is being asked to stay away from that area. This as residences brace for the winds now. It's often used as a backdrop for Hallmark movies, but flooding has ravaged the picturesque historic village of Claiborne in Abbotsford. The only way Don Ellis can get around his farm is on his tractor. Like many of his neighbors, his crawl space under his home is flooded and his farm underwater. But you know, when you live by a creek, you expect one morning you're going to get up and get your feet wet. That's inevitable. But like I said, uh, not, not like this. This is, uh, this is something else. At Cranberry Ridge, cleanup is underway after a landslide took out this pickup truck parked out on the street. Home security video captured the slide. The owner says luckily no one was in the truck at the time. He's just pulled out a huge rock and a bunch of other rocks, so 
I was kind of worried that if the truck wasn't there, it would have just hit the garage. I'm glad the truck was there. I feel bad for my son, but I'm glad, I'm glad his truck was there. The torrential downpour started on Sunday and hasn't let up since. Overnight at Russell and Sumas Mountain Roads, neighbors banded together trying to save the road. Well, we're trying to clear this ditch because it was running across the road, washing out the underneath the street here and taking out this power pole. Just uh, trying to keep it down, trying to manage it best we can. Abbotsford has declared a local state of emergency. More than 100 homes are under evacuation alert and more than 600 under an evacuation order, mostly in the Sumas Prairie area. And the worst of it may not be over. The wind event is a concern to me. The ground is saturated. We have a lot of big trees here. And uh, so I am concerned about that as well. The cleanup is a sad part because last time we had uh, six tandem loads of silt that we took out of the driveways. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like this time. All right, Grace, Chilliwack was also hit hard. What do we know about the situation for folks in that community tonight? Yeah, City of Chilliwack also declaring a state of local emergency. They also did order some evacuation orders, and that was for uh, properties just along the 40,000 block of Yale Road and Chartwell Drive. All right, we'll keep an eye on the situation. Grace, thank you. Well, it's been quite the day to say the least, and the wild weather ride isn't quite over yet. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on just how exceptional this storm is. Christy? Well, really an unprecedented event here across the south coast, Chris, but we also go back in time to really understand the impact. Uh, we had basically the tops turn on mid-September. We've had relentless rain with a parade of storms across the south coast, five atmospheric rivers. Typically, we wouldn't see a single one until November. And then this last event was record-breaking. As I mentioned, 20 regions broke 24-hour rainfall total records yesterday. These are the rainfall totals since uh, Saturday. Hope in excess of 230 millimeters of rain. But not only that, mild conditions with this atmospheric river. The freezing levels climbed. All that fresh snow we saw last week, that melted, came down the rivers and streams as well. In addition to that, we've had a lot of burn scars across the region uh, throughout the summer, and that added to the mudslides and land, uh, landslides that we saw across the region. We turn our attention to the winds this afternoon. We still have 100,000 homes without power. When I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. The winds are expected to ease this evening, but we're turning our attention now to the fact that the freezing levels are going to drop and we're worried about freezing all of that water in some areas. And I'll show you which. All right. The last thing we want to hear, but we need to know it. Thanks very much, Christy. We'll check in later. Deadline day for those who want a referendum on a new Surrey police service. They have a huge challenge stopping what the mayor and many others see as a done deal. Can they do it next on the news hour? It's our top story. Heavy rainfall and flooding across southern B.C. That includes Vancouver Island. More widespread damage and destruction from this epic storm coming up on the news hour. And bird lovers rejoice after a one in a million sighting. The stellar sea eagle that surprised everyone later. Right now, though, uh, supporters of keeping the RCMP in Surrey are claiming victory tonight in their efforts to force a referendum on policing in the city. They've managed to gather more than 40,000 signatures on a petition. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, that doesn't mean it's a done deal. We did it. We, we surpassed 10% in Surrey, and I am so proud of everyone. <laughs> 
Over the past 90 days, Darlene Bennett and others have been busy collecting signatures for the Surrey Police Vote Petition. For Bennett, whose husband was gunned down in their driveway in 2018, the issue of policing is deeply personal. I felt so strongly about it, and um, at the end of the day, I just want a safe neighbourhood. I don't want another family losing their husband, their father, in their own driveway. The petition is calling for a binding referendum on whether Surrey should keep the RCMP or move forward with the Surrey Police Service. The petition did not collect signatures of at least 10% of registered voters in each of BC's electoral districts, as required, but... Under the Referendum Act, which is another piece of legislation, the BC Cabinet can order a referendum, a democratic referendum. It can be done by mail ballot and it could be done sometime soon, before the municipal election. This was a municipal decision. Policing is a municipal responsibility. Uh, they voted to unanimously uh, to terminate uh, the contract with the, with the RCMP, uh, and the transition uh, has been underway. And that's where things are right now. The mayor's office told Global News, Mayor McCallum will not be commenting prior to Elections BC delivering the final result. It's absolutely a big message to the mayor and his five, his four councillors, and they should heed this for sure. Our taxes for the residents of Surrey are going to go up significantly, all to uh, pay for this transition that nobody really understands why we're doing it. More than 400 canvassers helped to collect the Surrey signatures, which are being delivered to Elections BC. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Surrey RCMP is releasing a sketch of a suspect in a sex assault, hoping someone can help identify the man. Take a look. RCMP say the suspect is alleged to have attacked a woman in Hawthorne Park over the weekend. He's described as Caucasian in his 30s, six feet tall, with what's described as a ginger beard. RCMP say initial indications are this might be linked to street-level sex work, and as such... They're warning sex trade workers to be vigilant about their own safety. If you have any information, you're asked to call Surrey RCMP. BC's big move to crack down on anti-COVID anarchists. I don't know that anyone would have predicted that emergency rooms and children's schools would have been a site for uh, anti-vaccine protests and intimidation. New legislation to make sure protesters keep their distance from essential services. And more unreal scenes from the B.C. storm. How the lower mainland got slammed by high wind and heavy rain, too. Lots of closures out there due to flooding, so be aware that Highway 99 is blocked between Westminster Highway and Highway 91. The Westminster Highway on-ramp to southbound 99 and the Massey Tunnel is what you'll have to use instead. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Returning to our top story now and the devastating impact of the powerful storm that swept across southern B.C. In Metro Vancouver, no sooner had the rain eased and the flooding had started to subside than the wind kicked up. Aaron MacArthur is live in Vancouver. Uh, Aaron, a walk down the seawall turned into a bigger adventure than anyone expected today. Oh, certainly, Sophie. The wind's still up right now, but the barge that stuck fast on the rocks here at Sunset Beach was certainly a surprise for everyone who witnessed it. Hopefully the last surprise of what was a miserable long weekend of weather right across the city. The water was coming from seemingly 
everywhere. Monday morning, localized flooding, a problem right across Metro Vancouver. Cars were underwater in Delta and Surrey. And out in Langley, a senior's home near the Nicomechel River had several inches of water in the lobby. Here we are this morning with probably eight inches in the, in the lower floor and we've got about a foot and a half on our garage. Okay, that's good. Well, let's maybe a little... Homeowners more. were pulling out all the stops to move the excess water out of their basements. Okay, I think that's good. For most of the morning, it seemed futile. The rain unrelenting. But then, right on cue, the rain stopped. But the wind came up fast. Waves crashed over the seawall in Stanley Park, and huge tree branches came down, including at several schools. St. Francis of Assisi in East Vancouver and Lord Roberts downtown. The wind so strong, it pushed a barge off its anchor in English Bay and onto the rocks at Sunset Beach. I'm not sure what happens if it reaches the bridge, if it could do damage over there. Granville Island is not too far. I parked the car, I came back and it was already beached by the time I got here. Nuts! I've lived here 20 odd years and uh, this is probably the, the most powerful storm I've seen. As the night drags on, there is the potential for more trees to come down, more power lines to be cut, thousands of people already without power. This storm, not quite over yet. Now, checked with the Coast Guard, there's nothing hazardous or dangerous inside the barge. And according to the Coast Guard, it's up to the owner to come collect it. But remember, it came ashore in a high tide with a storm surge. Might be a while before they get it off the beach. Sophie, Chris? Something to see for the stroll along the seawall. Thank you, Aaron. No doubt. Well, on Vancouver Island, evacuation orders are in effect for parts of the Nanaimo Regional District and the Cowichan Valley is under a state of local emergency. Kylie Stanton has more on the close calls in high water and why drivers are being asked to avoid two major highways. Stranded on the roof of a car, washed off the road, the water rising by the minute. Situations like this forcing the Cowichan Valley to declare a state of local emergency after more than 15 centimeters of rain hit the region in less than 48 hours. Well, we have no control over Mother Nature, and that's what it is, you know. Further north, evacuation orders are in effect for parts of the Nanaimo Regional District. Heavy flooding at this mobile home park, forcing crews knee-deep in the water, eventually requiring support. We're safe right now. A lot of the people, the residents are gone, and I'm just making sure that uh, people's stuff doesn't float away. <laughs> But there's really nowhere to go. Hanging out, trying to get home. Highway 1 is closed at Henry Road in Chimanus. Drivers being asked to avoid the roads if possible. The rainfall creating washouts on the island's major routes. Hoping this gets cleared up pretty soon and we can maybe get somebody out there with a, a broom and just that's how easy it is, right? Well, not quite. This video, taken minutes before the Malahat was shut down, shows just how dangerous the situation is. Vehicles essentially floating on the highway turned a fast-moving river. The infield 
Walls are buried. And while there wasn't a lot of major flooding reported in Greater Victoria, Western Speedway saw its fair share. It's about two to three feet underwater. A nearby creek jumped its banks, turning the track into a swimming pool. We realized we had some equipment in the infield, and so off came the sweater, and off I went. You know, the water was basically up to my waist. This man fared much better, eventually rescued by boat and taken to safety. And just in time for the winds to pick up. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, the latest on vaccines for children and new rules to prevent scenes like this. What the government is doing to protect essential services. Also tonight, supply chain struggles that'll leave you thirsty. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. The Patello Bridge has a stall northbound at the south end in the right lane. There's also some flooding past the Scott Road exit. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, turning now to COVID-19 in our province, we have three days of numbers to report to you. There are 1,270 new cases over that time, 3,837 active cases now. 376 people are in hospital, 116 of those patients in the ICU. 16 more people have died of complications of the virus, including a person in their 40s. And 86.8% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now. And Keith, BC is preparing to vaccinate kids aged 5 to 11. We should hear more about that in the next couple of weeks. So what does that mean for that age group? Very interesting. I think in determining how quickly we're going to immunize that many kids in that age cohort, I think it's valuable to look at what we're doing with the 12 to 17-year-olds, including the pace of vaccination rates for 12-year-olds. So uh, overall, the 12 to 17 age group has a pretty high, impressive vaccination rate of 90%. But as the kids get younger, the rate goes down. It goes down substantially when you go from 13 with 82% to 12-year-olds with just 76%. This suggests that it took a six months to get to 12-year-olds at a 76% rate likely suggests we'll take even longer time to work our way through that 5 to 11-year-old age cohort. Now, again, Health Canada has not signed off yet on, on allowing those, them to become eligible. It is expected to in the coming weeks. But based on what we're seeing with the 12-year-olds, it could be midsummer, next uh, midsummer before we see a high vaccination rate even approaching 80% for that age cohort. But uh, And again, polls show parents are a little more hesitant about younger kids getting vaccinated. So I think it's going to be, uh, be a slow rollout for that particular age group when it does begin. Sounds like it. Okay, thank you, Keith. All right. Well, the B.C. government has introduced legislation that restricts protests around a number of public facilities. As Richard Zussman reports, that's in response to the widely condemned disruptive demonstrations by people opposed to COVID-19 measures. These are the scenes and people the province is trying to stop. Those disrupting essential services because they oppose vaccination or COVID-19 measures. We definitely have concern based on what we've seen in British Columbia and uh, what we've seen across Canada uh, that some of these uh, folks uh, will attempt to uh, interfere with people accessing schools, with people accessing hospitals. 
If passed, the new law would create 20-meter access zones around those K-12 schools, as well as vaccination centers, COVID-19 test centers, and hospitals. Within those zones, police would have the power to arrest or ticket anyone, impeding access to the facility, disrupting service, or intimidating or attempting to intimidate anyone. Fines would be up to $2,000 or jail up to six months. People will not be obstructed when they're visiting their loved ones in the hospital. People seeking emergency care will not be delayed. It's a sad commentary about society and the state that we're in that we even need legislation like this, but, but we do need it because some people clearly won't take the hint. Um, and, and decency is not in their vocabulary. The law would expire July 1st, 2023, or earlier if determined it's not necessary. There will be exemptions for strikes and pickets during legal job action. Many protests that happen outside of our hospitals and schools are not intimidating or harming patients or healthcare workers. Who are you? This is not about you. The legislation would not have stopped protests at Remembrance Day ceremonies, the province balancing the right for free speech and focusing on essential services. But it does give the government the power to add on additional areas. I don't know that anyone would have predicted that emergency rooms and children's schools would have been a site for uh, anti-vaccine protests and intimidation. Uh, and so we're not quite sure what people will think of next. Quebec has 50-meter bubble zones. And here in B.C., the zone is also 50 meters around abortion clinics. The province says the 20-meter boundary could be increased if needed. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, if you're thinking of raising a glass this holiday season, you might want to stock up. The supply chain crisis is having an impact on the liquor industry, with some local liquor stores and pub owners already seeing shortages of certain imported products. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa. And that's right, Sophia Vancouver, pub owner, has been hit very hard by the supply chain crisis. He's run out of an Irish staple, now turning to the local market to help make up for the loss. <laughs> At the Irish Heather Shabin, these are unprecedented times. The Guinness taps at the Vancouver landmark have run dry. We don't have any Guinness. It's a tragedy. Tomorrow. Owner Sean Heather says he started running out of the Irish stout two weeks ago, all because of the supply chain crisis. It's hurting his bottom line. Now turning to a local porter to make up for the loss in sales. At the end of the day, I would say Guinness is about 75% of my beer sales. And right now, the new product is to selling about 45% of that. So basically, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a hit. Also out of stock, Irish beers that come from the Guinness Brewery, like Harp Lager and Kilkenny. Sean says he's been told his product is in containers on ships off the port of San Diego, but it can't be unloaded because of a shortage of workers. Just one of many hurdles contributing to the supply chain nightmare. Sean isn't alone. The crisis is leading to a liquor shortage across the industry on imported products like wines, proseccos and champagnes. We're already seeing shortages and massive disruptions in the supply chain where we can't get them into the stores now because instead of taking a few weeks to get to market, it's taking a few months. At Crosstown Liquor Store in Vancouver, General Manager Craig Philp keeps a close eye on his supply. Right now, it's a guessing game when some of his imports will arrive. We're stocking up in the back. We've got plenty of stock right now, but going forward, it could be an issue keeping those shelves stocked and uh, products coming in. Which means shop early to avoid disappointment during the holiday season. 
If you have a favorite product, if you want to open a bottle of champagne to celebrate for holiday dinners, I'd buy it now and keep it in the fridge for the next six to eight weeks. Back at the Irish Heather Shabin, all Sean can do is wait patiently. Now at the mercy of a global supply disruption. I would say to people, my hands are tied. And if I could get Guinness by any means or foul, if fair means are foul, I would get Guinness. Uh, but um, this, is, this is not something that I have chosen. Uh, this is not some grand strategy. Uh, as soon as we can get it back, we will have it. Sean Heather also says if there is a silver lining to the impact of the supply chain crisis, it's that many businesses are now turning to the local market for product. As for when we might see some relief, we are told by industry experts there are just too many moving parts right now and it's difficult to know when things will get better. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Still ahead, a recap of the bashing B.C. took in the latest storm. High winds and heavy rain leaving a trail of destruction it could take weeks to recover from. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders, Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, that's energy at work. Good evening. Minimal delays over here at the Lionsgate Bridge with most people avoiding the bad weather and terrible driving conditions. So make sure you slow down and be safe out there. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A visitor that's oblivious to pandemic travel restrictions is turning heads in Nova Scotia. No vaccine card necessary. Bird watchers are a flutter about the world's largest eagle, the Stellar Sea Eagle, which was sighted this month in the community of Falmouth, 11,000 kilometers from its native range in China and other parts of Asia and Europe. The first immediate response when you hear like that there's a stellar sea eagle in Nova Scotia is a heart pounding bird emergency feeling where you feel like you have to just move as quickly as you can. It's a bird emergency. It seems the eagle's been away from home for a long time. Bird watchers say it's been or it was seen in Alaska last August. It turned up in Quebec and New Brunswick in July before causing the stir right now in Nova Scotia. What an animal. Mm-hmm. All right, let's bring in uh, Christy Gordon once again for a look at our forecast. Christy, if this year has taught us anything, it's that we need to be prepared for anything and everything, really. Yeah, great reminder. Get yourselves ready with a pack in your car and a pack in the house to, you know, maybe even extra water, of course, and all the supplies you need for power and all sorts of things. Uh, Sophie, I spoke with a warning preparedness meteorologist earlier today. We talked about September, 300% normal precipitation this fall, uh, October, 200 to 240%. Here's a look at what he says about November so far. November is typically our wettest, most active month. And what's incredible about this event is that it has essentially brought us almost, if not surpassing, all of November average precipitation when you average 1981 through 2010 and has brought that in essentially just under 48 hours. 
So incredible rainfall totals. Uh, they say that they're going to be analyzing these numbers in the days, weeks to come, uh, just because they are so extraordinary, of course, and analyzing it in comparison to climate change as well. Uh, now, let's turn our attention to the winds. We've had wind gusts uh, across Vancouver Island up to 115 uh, kilometers an hour. That was off the coast. Metro Vancouver up to 81. We still currently have 33,000 people without power across the island, 24,000 in the lower mainland, and 16 in through the interior. Now, the winds are beginning to die down. We'll continue to see that be the case overnight. Now, it's the cold. So, these are the overnight freezing level, uh, sorry, uh, lows that we're expecting over lower elevations. Certainly, we're expecting freezing over higher elevation regions. But in areas like Kelowna, where we're seeing widespread water, we could see some melt. Now, these are an incredibly low temperatures, so we likely won't see a flash freeze, but we certainly could see some localized uh, freezing. So, be careful overnight and through the morning hours. We're also expecting more snow on the Coquihalla. As the temperatures drop, we're going to see pulses of snow anywhere from 10 to 15 centimeters possible for the Coquihalla and Allison Pass. Tomorrow will be a sunny day, giving some relief across most regions, but it is going to be very chilly. Many areas not warming up much past that freezing mark with a high of only four degrees, for example, in Kelowna. But some relief indeed with that sunshine. We're expecting a couple of days of dry weather, which is great, allowing some people to get some cleanup happening and it looks like we don't have anything major in the short-term forecast which is really really nice now here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window this was from earlier today of course um, from the stanley park area looking out towards english bay when the barge got loose and came ashore and just the photos that are coming in are quite incredible Uh, you can also check out our our instagram account we'll have a lot more photos on that a little bit later this evening of course more details in the later shows as well here on Global BC. What haven't we had this year? I mean, it's... <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's been a smorgasbord of weird weather. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking of weather, in November, a lot of Canadians will travel to Mexico to get away from it all. Very rarely does anybody <laughs> from Mexico come to Canada in November, but that's happening. And if they do, they probably don't go to Edmonton. <laughs> Exactly. No knock on Edmonton. (laughs) But, you know, in November, Edmonton is not a destination for those who live in Mexico. But tomorrow, Canada will play Mexico in men's World Cup qualifying soccer. It'll be sub-zero. And Canadian defender and former Whitecaps, Sam Atacube, says he's played in frigid temperatures before. Probably in Norway, those small town called Tromsos, minus 15. Uh, wasn't great, but we survived. <laughs> well, Canada survived Friday when they beat Costa Rica in freezing weather. They will have 50,000 fans tomorrow to provide some warmth as well. Friendly crowd, good to hear it. Also coming up, we'll take another look at some of the stunning damage from today's epic rain and windstorm. Squire, do you want our, our breaking news first? Or? Yeah, go ahead. You okay. guys go. City of Vancouver has just tweeted that they will be closing the Burrard Bridge at 7 tonight due to the risk of that barge at Sunset Beach coming loose and colliding with the bridge. So it's a day. It sure is. And again, it's the owner's responsibility to secure it and remove it from where it is stuck right now. We'll see when they do get around to doing that. Anyway, here's Squire. 
All right, thank you very much. Okay, a uh, little uh, housekeeping note tomorrow, or today I should say, the Canucks sent uh, Madison Bowie down to Abbotsford and they called Travis Hamannick back up so he can play Wednesday against Colorado. Now, there were no firings today. The Canucks GM is still Jim Benning. Travis Green is still the coach. And I'm guessing they probably will be on Wednesday when Vancouver hosts Colorado. Firing a GM and a coach at the same time during a season, that's a big bomb to drop. That's a nuke. And a lot of teams would rather do something like that after a season. Even firing a GM during a season is rare. It's not as rare to fire a coach during a season. We've seen that many times. However, the Aquilinis have never done it since they bought the Canucks. They've never fired a coach during the season. In fact, it hasn't happened this century with the Canucks. The last guy to get fired in the season as a Canuck coach is that guy right there, Mike Keenan, in January of 1999. He was replaced, of course, by Mark Crawford, who was fired after the season of 2005-2006. Elaine Vigneault fired in May of 2013. John Tortorella fired after his one season. Willie DeJordans was fired in the offseason as well. The Canucks don't often fire during the regular season. But that could always change. The Ottawa Senators have a serious COVID outbreak, and because of that, their next three games have been postponed. They've also closed the training facility down. Right now, 10 Senator players and an assistant coach are in COVID protocol. They were scheduled to play Jersey tomorrow. Nashville on Thursday and the Rangers Saturday. An updated schedule is being worked on by the NHL. Ryan Gold has been named one of the three finalists for Major League Soccer's Newcomer of the Year Award. He's been a big reason why the Whitecaps have been able to turn their season around and make the playoffs. Since joining Vancouver July 31st, he has four goals and six assists in 18 games. The winner will be announced November 22nd. Tomorrow, Mexico and Canada play a World Cup qualifying game in Edmonton. Last Friday, the game against Costa Rica was around freezing. Tomorrow, it'll be about minus 10 with snow. I'm not so sure how much that helps Canada, but I know it won't help Mexico at all. But even if this game was in the warmth of summer, Canada has the talent to beat Mexico this year. We believe in our squad. We believe in the uh, quality we have. And, you know, we don't fear anyone. I think that's been the... That's been the mindset we've had going into this campaign. We trust ourselves, we trust in our coaching staff, and we have a great brotherhood. And ultimately, we want to be better than them. We want to be better than all the teams in CONCACAF, and we believe we have that quality. And again, like I keep preaching, it starts again tomorrow night. We don't look back at what we've done. We look at what we have to do and what we're going to continue to do. Unlike the Canucks, there's no chance for the Lions to turn their season around. They're down to one final game Friday against Edmonton. It's just for posterity, except when it comes to Lions backup quarterback Nathan Rourke because in the final game, he won't be the backup. Nathan's going to start and play the whole game. So yes, you'll get a very good look at uh, Nathan. Nathan Rourke started the first game of the season for the BC Lions and that's how he'll end the year. Lions electing to go with a 23-year-old Canadian rookie in the final game of the regular season in what could very well turn out to be an audition for next year's starter's job. What this offense asks of me is different than what I was asked to do in college. I was asked to run the ball a lot more in college, and um, and in this offense, they ask you to kind of stand out there, stand back there, and go through your reads and get the ball to our playmakers. We have one of the best receiving cores that I've ever been a part of, or been around. That game against the Riders was the only start of the year for Rourke. He's basically served as Michael Riley's understudy all season long, but it does make you wonder what the future holds for both quarterbacks. 
Riley, who's dealt with an undisclosed injury to his throwing arm all year, turns 37 in the offseason and is due to earn upwards of $700,000 in 2022. So you have to ask yourself, is the financial return on that football investment there for the Lions? Right now, I, I, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, Michael Riley's got to sit down himself with his family. We have to sit down as an organization. We have to sit down together to discuss how to make this team the best it can be. And uh, you know what? Certainly Michael Riley would be a conversation point. We'll sit down with him and he'll sit down with us and we'll have discussions on how to move forward as, as an organization. At the end of the day, Michael Riley is our leader and we're very excited to have him. And, uh, you know, like I said, he's going to be part of all those conversations. And after they're done sitting down one day, we'll tell you what they said. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Thanks, Squire. Up next, images from a day we won't soon forget. BC's latest atmospheric river and the incredible damage it left behind. Well, it's been a day. I described it as trying to drink from a fire hose earlier. A whole week's worth of news in one day. And Christy, thanks so much for your work on the Weather Desk Squire for the uh, palate cleanse with sports. A lot of British Columbians are struggling tonight after that epic rainstorm overwhelmed riverbanks and flooded homes in several communities. Add to that those strong winds pulling down power lines and it was a storm for the ages. And we leave you tonight with some of the most powerful images of a day we won't soon forget. Literally a river coming down the hill. Look at the size of that rock. It's like the size of a semi truck. started last evening we were down here at 7 p.m. and it was about an inch from our entrance had a sump pump running wouldn't do any good so we've got evacuation here everybody's gone and I'm just making sure that uh, people's stuff don't doesn't float away